So um, when when you are like uh, you know this established uh, you know and large presence in your marketplace, maintaining that's got to be a challenge. So. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges that you deal with, whether it's like setting growth goals or staffing, whatever it is, like what are some of the challenges that that you feel like are kind of unique to being the dominant uh, provider? Um, I think uh, the first one, the first challenge is, you know, that is making sure your repair services are timely and and of uh, good quality. And right now, I, I, I know we have an ad, an ad on the NatBert site. We're one of 30 ads on the NatBert site looking <laughs> yeah. for stores looking for repair techs. Us too. And so that's, <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's just, you know, right now that's just a big, big challenge and kind of um, on my mind a lot. Uh, I think, you know, we try to look at this, the, you know, our accounts and, um Obviously, we feel like we we're getting a lion's share from most of them um, that we can get. Um, so we look to grow through step ups. Um, can we, you know, add more and more accounts that we're doing a step up program with? Um, so you know, you just kind of you have to kind of roll down the road um, as as best you can. We have acquired a few a few new schools. You know, there's always there's. There's always territories, you know, we, we seem to have the glass wall down between us and the Oklahoma, you know, state line, even though it's only 40 miles south of us, which um, we haven't, we haven't penetrated that yet. And so, you know, there's always, there's always other places you can go to. It's a matter of, is it cost effective to do that? Right. Yeah. And that can be really, you know, and you know how that, you know, it's just, it's, you know, we live in a fairly rural part of the world and, you know, we already drive a long way every day to get, you know, not, it's not Texas. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, we opened a store in Lawrence this past summer. And mm-hmm. um, as I've been writing with our road rep in the territory, who's a former Cincinnati employee, uh, like from a long time ago, uh, I'm amazed that like we drive for 30 minutes, don't see one house, and then arrive at some school, and uh, and then drive another 30 minutes, no houses, another school, and there is mm-hmm. nothing in between. Yeah. <laughs> no towns. There's almost nothing. And and I just sitting here thinking, where where are these kids coming from that are going to the school? <laughs> yeah. But it is very yeah. rural, and and I you know that Lawrence is the eastern part of Kansas, and you know the eastern part of Kansas looks like Manhattan compared to the western part of Kansas. So I could only imagine what it's like up there. Yeah. It's probably more like, you know, right, 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, the right. drive is a little bit longer. And you're right, there's there's just not much out there. The towns are small. Um and you know, but in but in some ways, you know, they're 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 super loyal. Um sure. and you know appreciative and you know we get all their business that, you know, that there is to get. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a good feeling. Yeah, it is. So these, the next bunch of questions will kind of sort of do them rapid fire, but don't necessarily feel like you have to give me a one word answer or whatever. And if you want to go long on something, you totally can. Um, what's the best part of running your company? Um, being in charge. <laughs> um, for the I, person who likes being in control, that's definitely yeah. Being in good. control. Um, <laughs> actually, I think the best part is um, feeling feeling like you make a difference. Um, I'm I'm really I'm very passionate about music education, and you know that's just that's just easy for me to um, um, to to get behind. I like I like being a part of the community. That's real important to me. Is that we you know, I, I'm able to say yes as much as I can mm-hmm. um, to organizations that we support. And um, I I think that for me is personally satisfying. What's the worst part of running your company? Um, I think the worst part is, you know, my, my natural tendency is that I want people to like me. And, and sometimes you can't make decisions that way. So mm-hmm. that's hard. Um, when you have to let people go or, um, you know, you have to say no, 
um, sometimes. No, you can't have vacation because everybody else is having vacation that week. Um, so those kind of, you know, rubber meets the road type decisions are hard but necessary. Um, great great part work, is you get to be the boss, but the yeah, worst part is you yeah. have to be the boss. <laughs> you know, I've I've evolved. I'm 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 much stronger person than I used to be. That's for sure. Um, I think you know there there aren't too many worse things about about business. You know, the sleepless nights. You know, there's 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 always those, but mm-hmm. not not a lot of them. What do you think is wrong with our industry? I don't think there's a, a a lot wrong with the industry. I think it's, you know, holy cow, you know, it's it's music, it's fun, it's, you know, it's great for everybody. Um I I do appreciate your, your comment a little that you made earlier about maybe uh we need a little more business and a little less music, you know, in running our stores, but um yeah, most of the people that I, you know, that I have come to know are, you know, they're, 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 some are more passionate about music than others, but they're all passionate about running their businesses um, as best they can. And, um, you know, I just, I think it's a, you know, it's a very sharing industry. I don't know if there's a negative side to that. I think it's, it's mostly, mostly positive. Um mm-hmm. I, I can't, you know, I don't think there's any, any cutthroat. Um, I think, you know, the, the, there's always a little bit of distrust between vendors and, manuf- you know, between manufacturers and retailers mm-hmm. and that kind of, that kind of comes and goes and ebbs and flows. Um, some points, you know, there's, there's a lot of animosity and other points, everybody's, you know, holding hands and singing Kumbaya and, and most of the time it's somewhere in between, but I imagine that's like that with every industry. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah. You know, I, I can't imagine we're any worse than, you know, than anybody else. And everybody's got to, everybody's got to do what they got to do to survive. I love that. I ask you what's wrong and you really spent most of it telling me what's right about it. <laughs> yeah. I just, I can't think of, you know, of what's wrong. Do you have a, do you have a feeling of a, a, a strong opinion about that? Uh, I do, but I it's I'm, it's more in line with yours that I I do feel like there's a heck of a lot more that's right with it than what's wrong. Yeah. Um, I do think that um, it's not maybe so much of an industry thing in terms of music retail, but I think in terms of retail that uh, for independent retailers we need to get a lot better than what we yeah. are, and I think we need to be more willing to ask who and not what. Um, you know, who can we talk to? Who do we need to know that can help us figure out where we should be going next or how to solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why I think there's you know there's a lot of value in some of the trade associations and finding the right uh, you know right uh, groups to be a part of mm-hmm. the sharing groups, uh, finding the right consultants or whatever. But uh, you know I think that's a a big part of it. You know wrong with the industry. I do think you know, our margins are pretty limited on when we were thinking about strictly on the retail side and it's very very hard to remain viable when you're dealing with you know sub 30 point margins and there's been some improvement in that but it's i think that's made it challenging and certainly for the true retailers you know the lack of uh you know at taxation standard taxation standardized taxation on internet sales i think yeah is really hurting mine sales tax yes and it's hurting our uh communities and it's it's hurting our states and uh and our politicians this will be shocking for people to hear but have been very slow to respond you know yeah. <laughs> who knew you know 30 20 20 years ago that the internet would still be such a big thing but uh apparently they didn't and so we were struggling with that so yeah. um but so uh, tell me who that you admire and has there been someone that's been a mentor for you and what have they helped you with? I've had, I've had the, you know, the great fortune of having many mentors. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was trying to think of people in the industry that I really admire and people out of the industry too. Um, I, you know, I admire people like um, Larry Morton, at Hal Leonard, mm-hmm. um, who operates a really, really good business with with integrity, um, 
and so those those are the you know the kinds of the features that that um, I admire um, some of the you know of the the ex, all the XCOM at uh, on the uh, in the NAM board you know people like Mark Goff and Robin Malenta um, who will be the who's who is I should say the first woman um, chairman of the board mm-hmm. and which is you know that's just huge for our industry sure um, and you know Joel Menchie I I belong to a share group. And those people have all been, you know, mentors to me um, if I, at, at one time or another. Um, I, I admire, you know, people that are, you know, so, so are able to balance that focus on running their businesses well, treating their people well, um, and enjoying the journey along the way. That's yeah, that's fantastic. And those people, you know, all... uh, there's been a lot of people. You know, Denny um, Sensen, he was a, was a great mentor. He made sure that I knew the people that I needed to know. Um, and when I, so when I bought the business from him, um, you know, I knew the banker, I knew the vendors, I knew the customers, and that was extremely unselfish of him to do that. Right. So personally, what do you think is your biggest asset? Um, I think my biggest asset is I'm pretty calm. I'm pretty, um, I don't know if it's laid back, but I'm even tempered. I don't get too riled up about things. Um, I don't fly off the handle. I listen to people. I don't tend to say the first thing that comes to my mind. I try to make it like the second or third thing before I actually speak. Um, I'm, I, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty good at that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty good with the numbers. I'm pretty good with people. Um, those are probably the biggest assets. Um, what's your worst habit? I'm a little bit of, well, I shouldn't say I'm a little, I'm kind of a, a, a procrastinator. <laughs> um, you know, that's something I need to, you know, always need to fight. Eh, I've got another, you know, five seconds to get that done. Um, so procrastination and also, you know, like we talked earlier about being down in the weeds, um, you know, I kind of, I sometimes am guilty of, of not micromanaging, but doing stuff that, you know, I, I really don't need to do this. I can, you know, I can delegate this and let somebody else do this for me. Right. And that's a difficult uh, habit to have when you're also someone that likes to be in control. Because <laughs> if you procrastinate and get into the weeds, and sometimes yeah. that means you're also the bottleneck. And being the go. bottleneck isn't a bad thing. I mean, without a bottleneck is why you can, you know, I was reading Seth Godin this morning. He's saying a bottleneck is why you can slam down that uh, bottle of Pepsi, and it's what makes a garden hose able to water your lawn. So yeah. bottlenecks are not always bad. but They're not uh, always bad. I'm, Sometimes they're not good either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So uh, tell me where you feel like you get your best ideas. Um, you know, attending, obviously attending uh, NAM and NAMU sessions, um, organizations like NASMD and RPMDA, um, and then, you know, belong to a share group. You know, we just we just all steal and borrow ideas and make them our own or you know, steal them wholesale or whatever. Um, you know, you, and you just you just never know that you know, kind of what you were talking about earlier about. Um, I I always learn a lot when I am can uh, be around another industry, um, a speaker from another industry. Mm-hmm. I think there's always interesting parallels and interesting contrasts, and um, you know, as far as learning more about retail, learning more about business. At this point, I I. I really do appreciate listening to people from outside the industry. Any people that uh, come to mind? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I have um, kind of gotten to know a local bookstore owner here, which has kind of got some some similarities and some differences. Um, you know, learning about that. Oh, we've, you know, we've had some. Um, really good speakers at you know at both NASMD and RPMDA about um, you know people from 
um, not-for-profits, people from publishing, people from, um, you know, other areas of retail, jewelry stores. I've listened to people uh, in furniture stores, you know, kind of um, those kinds of um, retail industries are, are always interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, people that have mall stores that you can kind of learn a little bit more about merchandising um, from because they do that so well. Yeah. So just kind of various, you know, various things like that. That's really smart. And, you know, a lot of that, you can even jump on YouTube and, and yeah. watch some of that. I've certainly spent more than a few hours, you know, listening to professional sales trainer, trainers that do sales training for like jewelry stores or furniture sales. And um, it's surprising. There's actually a lot of similarities between some of those customers, which I mean, the customers are of course similar because they're people and we're all selling to people, but, uh, but their purchasing habits, because sometimes, you know, parents that are buying a, a band instrument are often not buying it for themselves. They're buying it for a student. And right. one, someone who's buying jewelry often isn't buying it for themselves. They're buying it for someone else. And so, you know, learning some of how, uh, you know, the, the pros deal with that. Some of the best practices are in those uh, sales things are interesting. And at the very least will kind of open your eyes to how another industry works, which is a, Tremendous resource for yep. new ideas mm-hmm. and fresh concepts for your industry. Exactly. So a few years ago, you had the, and, and since the music, had the distinct honor of being uh, the NAM Top 100 Dealer of the Year. And that is such a tremendous honor. Tell me what went through your mind when they called out, you know, your name and, and sense any music, I remember sitting in the audience and listening and being so happy for you, but tell me like, tell me what that was moment was like. Well, it was pretty surreal because, you know, I thought this was a, this was a pretty cool thing. And, you know, they, they let all, you know, they invited all the top 100 dealers and everybody came and, you know, it was all my friends. I was sitting around, um, you know, people that I knew and knew well and, and you know that that was kind of that was cool that was that was great and then they started um i can't remember i think they did have some subcategories at that that mm-hmm. very first one things have kind of evolved um and i remember um when they were announcing the dealer of the year they i saw the picture of a front of the building our 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 buildings up on the screen and, you know, they were kind of flipping through us. And I think it was Mississippi Music. And I can't remember who the third one was, like maybe like Schmidt Music. And and I just I just looked at that like, no, you know, what? No, no way. And, when, and so I was kind of, I kind of had um, a little inkling of what was going on. And then when they announced her name, you know, I just, I remember friends just jumping up and, down and you know hugging me and and it just being pretty pretty crazy that was uh, i think kind of the shock of my life i would say totally i can imagine how uh what what were the things that came after that like you know did you get local accolades did your customers know and find out and yeah there was there was quite a bit of of that i think you know people i i'm you know met some really you know, just at the end of the the evening, going up the elevator, you know, in, you know, people, people, you know, saying something to you so kindly, um, saying things to you was, was very memorable and very, very, very sweet. Um, You know, getting some, you know, getting some press and, uh, you know, getting customer appreciation for that um i'm not quite sure you know i think the industry gets it a little more than our customers get it you know mm-hmm. but um you know but it was it was um it was it was pretty remarkable yeah yeah so how do you want to be remembered by your staff and community and the industry um I want to be remembered as as you know making a difference um, in you know ultimately the lives of kids um, who get to participate in this great thing we call music, um, making music, and I I want to be remembered for being um, a good community um, partner, somebody who. When somebody needed something, said yes, was generous, um, and 
uh, fair. <laughs> you know, I want my employees to think I've been fair and consistent and, and supportive of them. I think that's about it. <laughs> and then final question, if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell the younger you? Well, that was about the time I bought the store, and that was also the time of the recession. So, <laughs> you know, timing is everything. So, um, I'm not sure when when it was that you that you started Springfield Music, or you know, if it was about that time. Or I came into Springfield Music at the end of 2001. Okay, and, so that, uh, was, that was long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've been here a long time. Well, um, so I think what I'd, you know, what I'd, what I'd tell myself is, you know, um, don't, you know, don't sweat the little things, keep, you know, keep your head down, keep moving. There will be bad days, but there'll be more good days. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I tend to not be the person that looks back and, and is filled with regrets. I, I just don't, live my life personally that way mm -hmm. so this is really that's a that's a hard question for me um i think you know just all the lessons that i've learned in the last um 10 12 years there you know there's been a few things i would do differently but not probably not a whole lot well it's not so much about having regrets but like you mentioned so you bought it right at during the time of the recession which is a scary time to be buying a, a business and i would imagine like being able if you could say hey you know what if you just keep working hard and working your plan and do it you're going to turn out okay that probably would have been a welcome uh message to the Lori supini from 2009 <laughs> <laughs> yeah because not every school music dealer made it and if the you know if the future was to tell you you know i'm from 10 years in the future and you turn out just fine matter yeah. of fact you win the nam dealer of the year then you'd probably be like oh okay well all right back to work <laughs> okay i got this so in that same vein, what do you want to tell to the Lori Sapini that's 10 years older from now? So it's 2029. What do you want to make sure that that Lori remembers? Um, I think I want to make sure that that Lori remembers um, having handed it off at some point <laughs> to somebody else um, to, you know, to manage or to own. Not sure which at this point. Um you know, I, I really, I don't want to be doing this for, you know, for forever. So, um, and, you know, being able to hand it off to, you know, with a win-win situation would be, would be um, for me and a buyer and or a manager, however that, however that works itself out. Um yeah, I think, you know, going out on, everybody wants to kind of go out on their own terms, whatever that, whatever that would be. So that would be, that would be a goal is to, you know, have that figured out and be able to execute it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that, you know, a, a future transition at some point, have you begun to work on that at all? Because that can be a, uh, you know, a pretty long i mean that was the yeah i came to springfield music 20 years ago is <laughs> that you know or i guess it's been 18 years ago but like hey you know i want you to run the, own this thing and you know we're still working that plan <laughs> so sometimes yeah can... no i i don't have anything um other than other than really position my business and it's to be uh in, in its best in its best light for for whatever mm -hmm. would happen so that's that's the plan I'm working right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's certainly uh, you're not alone. I've got uh, yeah. people reach out to us all the time because they, you know, they're reaching that point in their career and their life where it's time to sell or trans transition the business. And you know, there's more businesses out there that could be bought than what uh, than what what I could buy. You know, there's yep. <laughs> and uh, run effectively and. Um, so it's something that, and sometimes people, you know, they've, they've reached the end of their career and they're ready to do it now. And I think, gosh, you should have been working on this for the last several years. Like, you know, you're ready to retire this year. You know, that's yeah. not a realistic goal. And, right. um, you know, if, if so for anyone who is planning on selling their business or retiring, you, unless you're just going to do a liquidation sale, you really should be planning that out several years ahead. And as a matter of fact, it's probably never too early to be thinking about that. So that's correct. 
So, well, hey, this was a lot of fun. Did we cover everything that you wanted to talk about? I think so. And then some. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it's, it's all good. It's all fine. <laughs> well, I think you did a great job. And, and Thank you. Uh, I think there was it's a really, really neat and interesting moments. And I appreciate you being so willing to not only spend your time doing this, but also just being open and honest about some topics. And I think that's what's you know going to make this really worthwhile to listen to. And I think when other stores listen to you know some of your answers, they're going to think, wow, like, you know, even even an AM dealer of the year is still having some of the same challenges that I'm having. You know, absolutely, and it's we are really all the same. Yeah, yeah, it's going to either be encouraging or depressing. One yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, if that person can't figure it out too, hopefully, then... yeah, hopefully it's encouraging. <laughs> well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you'd like help with your business, check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles, resources, and coaching and consulting services. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening. Springfield Music, we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they under-promised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600 When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two... You'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it. It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. So let's dive in. Today's interview is with Lori Sapini of Cincinnati Music. Cincinnati Music is a former NAM Dealer of the Year award winner. And Lori's interview today, we've mainly focused on her background as a CPA and what skill set that means that she brings to the table uh, at Cincinnati Music. So I think you're going to find this really, really interesting. So let's get right into it. Tell me about uh, Cincinnati and primarily like when was it started and by whom and what your background was and how you win and how you got involved. Okay, so Cincinnati Music um, started almost exactly, it'll be exactly on uh, Monday, April 1st, 1978, so it'll be 41 years. Oh, wow. Um, it was originally founded, um, there were a group of partners, um, Danny Cincinnati was one of the partners, and Joe Hume uh, was one of the partners. Joe had two stores, or three stores maybe already, up in Topeka, Kansas City, and then eventually had one in Lawrence. And I think there were some other partners that kind of fell away by the wayside. Um, and it was, you know, I think there was at that time a vacuum in the city of Wichita and South Central Kansas for a school music dealer. And so they um, started a store. It was originally called Hume Music. And um, 
eventually Denny bought uh, Joe out in 1984, and it was just Cincinnati Music at that point. Um, and I came on uh, in 1995. Um, I was, um, well, you know, this is the part where we can talk a little bit about me because how it got me to here yeah. um, is, well, I, I originally started life as an elementary school teacher, and I did that for five years and decided that I that was not for me. And I went back to school, and I really don't know why I picked this. I have, I have brothers and sisters who are accountants, but I decided that's what I wanted to do. And I eventually actually got an MBA, a Master's of Business Administration, with a big emphasis in accounting. And um, at that time, we moved out here. My husband's an aeronautical engineer, so we've kind of been around places. We were here, then St. Louis, and then back here. And when we moved back here, I started working in public accounting. Uh, I did that for about five years. And I started playing in the store's community band. We have a, we sponsor a community band, have for many, many years. That's how I got to know um, Denny and some of the other people on the staff. And in 1995, I left public accounting and um, started working here as the store controller. That's how I got here. What instrument do you play? I play bassoon. I also play piano, but um, in the community band, I play bassoon. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. You know, I don't know if I knew and just forgot, but I don't, it's not in my memory that Cincinnati was originally one of the part of the Hume music. Yeah, it was. It that was. is really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Well, and that's almost, a, that'd be another fascinating uh, podcast to talk to the guys from Hume Music because they were really dominant in the Kansas sure. uh, or in Missouri Kansas market. Kansas City, yeah. Northeast, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then kind of, kind of, you know, obviously a lot of challenges caused that to, to yeah. not last. Right. So um, with Cincinnati Music, tell us a little bit about what Cincinnati specializes in and not only the things that you offer, but maybe are like if there's products or services you don't offer. We are a full-line music store, um, really specializing and focusing on school music, music education. Um, so that that really defines us here um, most in most ways. We offer, you know, we carry pianos, we carry print music, we offer lessons and repair services. We have guitars and drums and all that stuff. What we probably uh, don't carry as much in the way of sound reinforcement um, heavy MI, you know, that kind of stuff. We don't, recording stuff, we, we, we don't carry that at all. Right. But um, pretty much everything else, our customers tend to be, um, if they're not educators, then they, they tend to be um, moms and dads of, you know, young beginning musicians or um, amateur musicians. So, that's that's kind of where we where we've made our our mark in the in the area. And how does that differ to the competition that you go up against uh, in the Wichita and kind of southern? I don't know what you consider your territory. I mean, you you guys cover so much of Kansas. Yeah, First, it's tell me what you consider your territory, and then be. I, uh, yeah, I think uh, it kind of depends on what we're talking about. I'll. Um, in in the last year, two years, we've kind of um, really reduced our print music um, presence. We used to, that was almost national business. Um, and we had lots of um, customers from all over the country and um, even in England. But um, so that's kind of, you know, that was one area. So I think I think we can probably pretty firmly narrow it down to South Central Kansas um, as kind of the core, um, we do go out to almost to the Colorado border to Western Kansas and somewhat down in Southeast Kansas as well. And little pockets up near Kansas city. Um, so it's about the Southern, Southern half of the state ish, uh, more or less. Familiar with, with Kansas. I mean, getting out to Western Kansas, that's, that's quite a trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a long state, uh, and uh, from east to west. So, um, yeah, we have kind of an we have kind of a Pony Express. I mean, we have a, a road rep that takes it to a road rep that takes it to another. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, that that explains how you accomplish that. Then that would be yeah. tricky. And it's kind of there's it's sparsely populated out there too. It is, so. it is. But there's some there's some really good programs out there that yes, there you know, are. are just um, you know really uh, the backbone of you know of our business. Um, they um, they're very loyal, and we just try to serve the heck out of them as best we can. Now you had mentioned that uh, you know at one point, well for a long time, you all were really prominent in print music and then in the last couple of years that's changed so maybe tell me a little bit why you made the change and what have been the what's been the ramification of those decisions sure that i guess it's really been a year um so uh it the decision came about because we need we really needed to improve our profitability and not only is print kind of capital intensive, but um, it's labor intensive. And mm-hmm. um, I had I had great people. I had um, you know experts in the area. They were former music educators. They taught. They really knew this. They knew the literature. Um, had great relationships with publishers. But it just you know it was not improving. <laughs> it was going the other direction. Um, and you know, the investment in all that inventory was obviously eating up capital. Right. So, um, made the decision about, uh, November of 19 or 2017 that we were going to downsize. And so I had to, unfortunately, I laid off, um, four, uh, print staff plus two support people. And, um, because, you know, that, that's another area. It's not just the people that sell it. It's the people that have to, you know, unbox it and enter it into inventory and, you know, all that stuff, price changes and shelving and, and all that. So, um, that was, um, a really hard decision. Um, and, you know, I've, I've learned, learned lots of things from that experience, um, and, and really had to kind of figure out what exactly we, you know, we were going to do. And as it's, as it's turned out, we still are doing a lot of print music business, uh, which is interesting. Um, people are still, you know, band directors and choir directors are still ordering music from us, which is what they were doing before. They just weren't buying the stuff that was on the shelf. Right. And that was, <laughs> that was kind of a problem. So, um, we, you know, we are still continuing, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of what we were doing before, um, at a lower, you know, definitely a lower volume, um, and with a lot less people. And we're still trying to kind of work through, um, some of that old dead inventory, but we're, we're getting there. It's, it's a process, but, um, I feel real good about the decision. I feel good about what we're doing and how we're doing it. Uh, at this point, I like it. And, uh, Oh. You know, well, kind of in and in the door, and you know, back out the door. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really helpful for the ROI and quick turns at that, at that yeah. point. When you're, you know, and we're you know we're we're continuing to stock method books for um, sure. piano and band and orchestra and um, uh, you know teaching materials that kind of stuff. Um, some pop music, some guitar music, just you know, um, kind of uh, bread and butter for. Um, for beginning students, that's really where we, you know, again, where we try to live. So it's like, not like we don't have any, we we are being a lot more selective. Well, when you've been in business for as many decades as Symphony, you're going to have categories that you, that kind of come and go and your business is going to change. That's right. Our locations in Joplin was started in 1935 and you know, back then they were selling uh, records and things like that. Yeah. that, that stereo equipment. Of, I've heard yeah. stores sell yeah. stereo equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but just things change. Yep. You had mentioned um, that during that process, you kind of learned, you know, learned some lessons along the way. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you learned during that process of kind of downsizing? And I think, I think the, biggest message is to you know make sure that you're managing the message make sure it's what you want said and not what you know people will hear things and then get it totally wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, even if you thought you were clear so I've I've learned to be very very careful about how we word things um, in you know in 
um, the email blasts that we that we make or um, you know any kind of press release or um, communication from um, from the store and it's not that people you know it's not that my staff was saying the wrong thing it's just what people were choosing to hear sure and so I think that was you know that was the the biggest lesson and then you know that that there is a definite effect on culture when something like that happens, and it takes everybody a while to kind of to kind of get through it. And you know, it's um, you know, I guess a little grieving process, I suppose. Um, but I think people feel good about you know when 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 there's momentum or when there's forward direction. I think they can appreciate that. I think everybody everybody understood even even most of the people I laid off understood mm-hmm. um, why why it had to be and were surprised it hadn't happened earlier. And because um, they're they're smart, intelligent people. And so, you know, those those kinds of things that you can't foresee, um, but in the end you come out, I think we came out better for it. That's such an important part, you know, that you talked about culture. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the culture is really the lifeblood of any of our businesses. It's the thing that sets us apart. And when you make a big change like that, and for uh, a company like Symphony, getting rid of print music is a big change. You know, thinking how that's going to affect the culture, that's sometimes not something we think of right away, you know, especially if we're thinking, if we're paying attention, we're thinking just about the numbers and yes. the logistics that you can kind of exactly understand <laughs> there's going to be like a human side to it. But I, at least in my experience, sometimes I forget that, well, that human side is also going to impact the culture of our business and it's going to change it. And so what are some things that if someone else is in a similar spot, maybe not necessarily with print music, but what are some things that if someone was going to have to make a big change to their business that could have an impact on culture, what would you suggest they do? I would, I would um, always suggest being honest and upfront with your staff um, why you're doing what you're doing, what, you know, what are the steps, what, what were the, the steps that led you to make that decision? Um, I think including them as, you know, as much as you can, obviously you can't tell them everything and you can't always, you know, you can't talk about some things up front until they happen. Um, but I, I think that's probably the the best way. I think, um, having a you know a plan going forward this is what we do really well and this is what we're going to concentrate on and this is what we're going to focus on and here's you know here's here's the roadmap here's the goals i think um i think people can wrap their heads around that pretty quickly and get on board so we had talked about culture uh, tell me what the culture of sensei music is like now so i i would describe our our culture as kind of a kind of a team um approach um family you know i'd like to i'd like to say that but i think i think it's probably closer to teamwork um i think um i'm pretty i'm pretty laid back um managers are pretty laid back and um just try to foster that kind of an atmosphere with people um i want want them to have fun you know there's been some times when it's not been fun (laughs) you know we kind of do goofy things during the fall to help help morale in the back to school season and um so you know try to try to have informal parties you know every once in a while or or something you know that we can that we can do together or not do together um and so it's really you know i've been thinking actually thinking a lot about that culture and trying to you know um, wish I knew exactly how to um, how to build it a little more intentionally. I think it's kind of organic, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I suppose there's um, there's different schools of thought on that. So I don't know what what you find or what you what you think about that. Well, I I think it's I think culture is really important and. I think that only because um, throughout my career, I've struggled with it. <laughs> yeah. And um, what I noticed in the beginning, like when I first came to Springfield Music and we had one location and my office was in the store and I was really involved with the retail staff, 
that I didn't, I, there was no intentional thought about my culture. It just like the culture was me and the team around me. And like, mm-hmm. it just was what it was. And it was a great culture. I remember like hearing customers say, gosh, I love coming in here because you all just seem like you're having so much fun. And, um, it just was easy. And then as the business grew and I had less of an impact on each individual employee and my, you know, uh, office wasn't in the store anymore. I found that the culture started changing and in in some ways I felt like it changed for the worse. And I felt like it was challenging because when I started to, you know, I had people, they, you know, I would talk to other people to get their input and they would comment about culture. And I realized I actually really had no idea of what I wanted the culture to be. And there for a little while, I was sort of, you know, well, what guys, what do we want our culture to be? And trying to, almost run it by committee, which that's not how that works. <laughs> and, uh, but I just had never considered it. And, um, you know, and so I, I think over the last several years, I've spent a lot of time thinking about like, what do I want the culture and, uh, you know, personality of our business to be. And then I try to be that and, and put that into place. And I think it's gotten a lot better, but I think it's, it's very important, especially for independent retailers. I mean, some of them just nail it. And I think some of them nail that culture without realizing that they're doing it. I think there's yeah. a lot of them that are in the same boat that I was, exactly. kind of a force of will. But I think there's others that are doing a really good job with it, but don't realize how they're doing it. And the problem with that is that once it stops working or something changes, then they're going to be they're going to face a challenge. We'll put it that yes. way. So, <laughs> yes. And, and, and something else that's happened in, in addition to, you know, kind of lopping off a whole department was I've had, I've had um, a, a bunch of retirements. I've had people, you know, kind of in key areas um, retire and move on. And so that's, you know, that's affected the culture as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and building that back up from the bottom. It's, it's in, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, how everybody kind of contributes to the culture. And when people leave, it's, there's a little bit of, you know, there's a, there's a change. That's true. That's really true. That's fascinating. All right. So um, tell me a little, we'll shift gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tell me what uh, your role is in your business now and give me an idea of what your day-to-day looks like. Well, I think I, I describe my role as keeping the financial wheels on the bus. That's important. <laughs> I, I spend I spend a lot of time, um, for lack of a better word, um, focused on cash, on cash flow, um, cash flow in, cash flow out. Um, you know, I I have um, uh, an accounts payable person. You know, it's just you know what bills are we going to pay? What vendors are we going to pay today? And um, we kind of try to, um, pay a couple times a month, but then, you know, there's school bids that we want to take advantage of the discounts. And so it, there's a, you know, that I spend a fair amount of my time doing that. Um, and I'm kind of a, um, I'm kind of anal about, you know, cash flow about where the balance in the bank is and what I expect to happen for the rest of the month. And, well, you know, where will the line of credit be and where will, you know, what do I need for payroll? And um, so I, I, I spend a lot of time kind of focused on that. Um, I prepare the financial statements. I try to do that by the 10th of the month, um, just a you know, a discipline that I do, um, mm-hmm. like, that I keep going um, at that. I could, I could blow it off and kind of say, well, I kind of know where I am, but um, I, I do that anyway. Um, and, you know, and then keeping, I, I don't, I don't buy inventory. I kind of have some in, input into that. Um, I can sell if, you know, I, I participate heavily in uh, back to school season, um, but I'm not out on the floor regularly. Um, and I kind of have, I think what every CEO does is more of an outward focus, you know, in, um, marketing, um, you know, public relations, if there is anything, uh, we are, we are just opening a, a second store, a storefront here in Wichita. It's kind of a, kind of a combination store and lesson center. Really? So, yeah. Um, I had no idea. That, well, it's just brand new. <laughs> So that's, um, we just signed, the lease was effective March 1st. It's in an interesting 
place. It's a um, a performing arts center. So there's a um, part of the part of the space um, within this whole kind of complex is a daycare center at one end and a performing arts center at the other end. And we're in between. There's a dance studio also there now, and we will be um, facilitating and managing. Uh, performing arts classes, and then we'll have some retail space in in this in this location. That sounds like a really interesting space, which is interesting also because, for those who don't know, your store is in a rather interesting building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I like, we like we like weird buildings. It's a bank. It's a former bank. Um, so we have vaults and, um, yeah. It's it's. It's a unique, a unique building. It was built in the '70s, so lots of glass and steel and um, concrete. It's, 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 yeah, it's very '70s looking place. Um, but we, we managed to fill it, <laughs> which I never thought we would. And you know, people who may be listening that live in California that are picturing a bank in Wichita looking like something out of a uh, Western. It's not anything like that. I no. mean, this is like a large modern mm-hmm. bank or what was modern in the seventies. It's a yeah. really large building. Uh, uh, and the floor is kind of like, well, I, I think the, I don't think the building is, but the floor almost has kind of a circular feel to it. It's probably because the center section of your store has like this huge circle where the vault is. That's correct. People kind of think about it as being a round building. It's not. It's just it's got this circular concrete, um, we call it a bunker almost, in the center. And inside that was the safety deposit box vaults and also the cash vaults. Um, And then they had, you know, some call center type stuff in there as well. But um, and it has, you know, openings to the outside and we used, we've used some of it for actually a lot of it for retail space and the rest of it has been, um, offices, but so it, it kind of, yeah, lends itself to the feeling that it's a round building, but it's, it's just the, the circle in the middle. So you had mentioned that, uh, by the 10th of every month, you try to have your financials prepared. What mm-hmm. financial statements are you generally preparing? I do generally, um, just an income statement, a balance sheet. I do a cash flow statement annually. I have a really, um, you know, I have a, a daily spreadsheet of cash that I, you know, that I hover over um, uh, obsessively every <laughs> every day. And, you know, of course, accessing the banks and bank accounts and line of credits and that kind of stuff. Um, I do. Um, that's, you know, just the financial stuff, you know, I prepare, I do a bank rec every month, um, religiously, which I think is really, 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 really important. Um, and that even if you're, even if you're not an owner and you have somebody that's doing the bank rec, you, you, you better be looking at it and, you know, asking questions and make sure you know what stuff is going in and out of your account. Um, cause if you're not careful, you know, that can, that can be. That can be a problem. Right. Yeah, that's uh, a definite spot where you can catch fraud or notice mm-hmm. any irregularities yeah. or anything. And if you're not watching that, then yeah. you're leaving yourself exposed. Um, so, you know, it's often been said in our industry that there's maybe a little too much music and not enough business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are some basic financial principles that you would encourage listeners to learn and use in their business? Um, I would, I would, you know, yeah, the bank rack, the monthly bank rack is, is absolutely critical. Um, I think, you know, budgeting or goals or whatever you want to, you know, however you want to plan, um, is, you know, as many people have said, hope is not a plan. So hoping that we're going to do better this year is, is, um, is not necessarily, um, you know, you won't, you won't get there unless you have a plan to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always amazed when I meet people in our industry that, you know, you ask them how their year is going, whatever, and they don't know until their accountant's finished. And um, yeah. if, I mean, everyone really, regardless of size, should at least be doing quarterly income statement and income statement and balance sheets uh, just to get a sense of what you're trending and how you're doing. Um, and honestly, financial literacy is not that difficult. I mean, no. you don't have to be a controller or an accountant to learn a few of the you know basic metrics um, that are important. I mean, my degree is in music education, and up until we hired a controller, um, you know, in the last uh, 
year and a half or whatever, uh, this was, that was kind of my job. I was doing much yeah. of, the same thing of what you described as someone with a music ed degree. And um, now the person that we've hired to do it, uh, who's now our VP of finance, she's, you know, way, way, way better at this than I am. And, uh, you know, I listening to some of the, some of the things you're talking about, like with your cash flow spreadsheets and stuff like that, that's mm-hmm. exactly what she's got. And they're very detailed, but, yeah. uh, having some, uh, basic financial knowledge, uh, is, would be really useful. Do you have an idea of like maybe volume or, uh, what, at what point should a retailer be looking at bringing in some kind of financial person as a controller or something like that. Any opinions on that? Hmm. I don't know if I think about it as in terms, well, it, it, it could be possibly a volume thing. It's, it's kind of, for me, it's, this is, this is what I can do and this is where I feel comfortable. And um, I think I can um, contribute to the business this way um, for others, you know, it's not their forte and they need to bring somebody in, even if they're, you know, just a couple of million dollar business, I think, you know, probably much between, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, seven to $10 million. Yeah. You're probably going to need somebody. Mm-hmm. I think if you have multiple locations, that's maybe another, uh, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of plate spinning and, mm-hmm. you know, having somebody um, who can kind of, help you get your head around uh, the finances and the systems that are involved with just that piece of having multiple locations is another, maybe another um, in having somebody, I think, you know, and if you can afford it, um, you know, having those kinds of specialists, a marketing person or a, or a, an accounting person is always going to pay dividends um, you know, because you just get you just get a different perspective. Yeah, um, I've noticed for me the a big change has been, uh, you know, before we brought in our VP of finance, I would just spent a lot of time working in the business. You know, I'm, I was running those mm-hmm. calculations, I was chasing down those Amesy errors. You know, I was doing a lot of that stuff. And when she came in, you know, she was able to kind of quickly pick up what I was doing and improve on it. And that gave me more time to work on the business and yep. really think about, you know, what type of business do we want it to be and um, where our inefficiencies are and, and where, you know, where the where the gap is between what my vision is and what reality is. And whereas in the past, my head was just too buried into the work to really even, honestly, didn't even have a vision, just like we talked about the culture. Like, <laughs> I remember I had, I had yeah. a boy that just would always complain. He's like, what's the vision of this company? This company has no vision of what it wants to be. And I was like, uh, well, what do you want it to be? And he's like, that's not my job, you know? <laughs> and I was thinking, well, I'm too busy, man. I don't have time for vision. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there, there, That's, you know, there's, this. you could say the same thing about, about me, um, you know, from as far as, you know, working in the business and working on the business, it's, there's a fine line. And so, you know, some of it has to do with control and letting go of things. Uh, I can do it, you know, I can do this better. I can do this faster. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean about working on the business, working in the business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think uh, uh, I'll ever be alone. I think every uh, person that runs a business gets sucked into that because the business yep. is constantly luring you into working in it. You know, <laughs> it's like, hey, look at this shiny thing or, hey, look at that fire over there. You know? <laughs> yeah. <there's laughs> <something>. um, <laughs> every, uh, you know, I uh, email, for instance, is kind of my, you know, I don't know what you call it. Um kryptonite or something it's yes it's you know i have to remind myself every day that um urgency urgency and importance are 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 not necessarily connected so you have to you know even if it appears urgent maybe it's not important so you have to kind of you know filter that every day it's really easy to get trapped into the uh, job title of professional emailer. <laughs> well, it's not a professional, well, it's not a job title. It certainly is the, an easy way to spend your time and not even realize it. And at the end of the day, you think, all right, what did I accomplish today? And like, well, I answered a bunch of emails. And like, yeah. I don't know if that was really the best thing that really changed my company today. So, yep. so tell me what kind of stuff you're working on right now. 
Well, right now, um, of course, I'm working on this new um, location that's occupying uh, a, a pretty um, good chunk of my time. Um, and, you know, just developing, we've never had a second location. So that's okay. How are we going to do this? How are we going to handle inventory and who's going to do what? And, um, we're still, we're still working out all of that. Um, you know, figuring out a model inventory, it's going to be pretty simple store, not a lot of space. So what do we want to carry? Um, and then personnel, of course, that's always, um, a biggie. So that, and like I said, we just announced it this week. So um, making sure, again, that you're managing the message and making sure people people hear second location and not that we're moving because I've already heard that already. <laughs> no, we're not moving. Um, so, you know, that's, again, that's really important. Um, you know, this is kind of... Um, we're getting to the point of the school year where there's um, job changes, you know, mm-hmm. going on. So we're paying attention to where teachers are going to land and what programs are open and who can we, who can we, you know, find to help, you know, fill that position. And um, well, we do have some spring rentals. We don't have a lot, um, but the ones that we have are, 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 a couple of them are pretty big, so preparing for those, we're you know starting to do all that right now, and and then getting the ducks in a row for the fall. That's almost a well, that's at least a a six month process. So. Easy, yeah. You know, you mentioned something about the spring, and it's actually funny. I was talking with my one of my school service reps this morning, and we were commenting on how in the Southwest Missouri area right now that the job turnover, job openings for teachers has been. Um, a lot lower than normal and how that's actually really nice because it's very stressful for us. And I'm curious your thoughts for that because when a teacher leaves that you have a good relationship with and you don't know who's going to come in and take their place, I mean, that creates opportunity for competitors. It creates opportunity for friction or issues in your business. And, And so what are your thoughts on that and how have you dealt with that over the years? Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's something that we've, you know, I remember, you know, Denny and, and managers before me, um, you know, spending a lot of time, a lot of time concerned with that. And, you know, there's a big domino effect, you know, there's one program, a big program open up and then a big domino thing. And, you know, where does it finally stop? Um, we, we have not a shortage of teachers, but uh, we've don't have an excess of them either and so most kids graduating from college are getting jobs um and so we we put some emphasis into making sure they know us before they get out of school so we have some some things that we do um we can talk about that a little bit um but you're right about it being stressful um for the most part um, I think, you know, we have the best school reps and the best programs and and we're pretty, we're, we're so strong that I don't have a lot of bleed off of, of programs to competitors, but it, it does happen like it does for everybody. So it is, it is, it is a concern. Um, you know, obviously we are looking for directors that are, are good partners, you know, for us that kind of get it, um, get what we're trying to do and how we're trying to help them. Um, not just selling them stuff, but actually, you know, actually helping them build their program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's a whole, um, you know, all of my, all of my real reps, this isn't the, the case for everybody and everybody does it differently. And, um, and every way is can be successful, but all of mine are former music educators, so they're really they're really consultants and psychologists and uh, mentors and everything else wrapped up in one. And one of our people calls it being a bartender for band directors. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. Yes, sure. So this is actually a perfect segue. So Cincinnati uh, is one of those rare school music dealers that has really almost kind of dominated a, a territory. And, and um, while you have competitors, uh, they're um, much smaller and they're not as focused on school music as you are, at least the competitors that are like directly inside of your territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few of those that are around the country, but they're 
it's 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 unusual to find. Uh, Amro is another one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me kind of a couple things. Like first question with that is how did that come to be? Because I know originally in Wichita and 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 in the area there were more school music dealers, but how did it be, how did it end up being where Cincinnati became you know the the big main dominant player? I think. Something that um, the, the competitors that we had, it was interesting um, that we've had over the years um, were the best kind of competitors because they were they were there, but they were mediocre. So it was really it was enough to keep um, it was enough to keep anybody bigger um, out of the territory, mm-hmm. um, but not so big that we couldn't really shine and focus. I think, um, you know, Denny and, and um, our, the school service manager um, that he hired, his name was Bill Johnson and Denny and Bill just, they just really served, um, you know, school music programs in ways that um, they as band directors would, would want them to be, you know, repair is always a key issue, uh, making sure that their instruments are, you know that that you get access to timely um good repair which is which is a challenge that's a challenge for everybody yeah i think that's you know focusing on that um solving the band director's problem you know how how can we how can we solve their problem even if it doesn't make us money um at the time um so the those are the things that you know have just been kind of in our dna from the beginning um and co- Com- competitors, you know, um, we, we we all do. I mean, we got some ankle biters. I, I, <laughs> that's what I call them. Um, you know, that just kind of you know are nipping at you all the time, and it, you know, it 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 does make you, you know, challenge and yourself and focus. How can we how can we continue being better and not bitter? Um, yeah, you know, not feel sorry for yourself, and and yeah, you just gotta. It's it's business. You just got to do it. Chip Averwater talks about you know what a, an advantage it is to have competitors that are um, present in the market, but not necessarily strong competitors. That's exactly yeah. And it's almost like having a moon in your orbit. You know, they kind of can clean a lot of the space debris, and <laughs> you know, keep, like you were saying, keep other people out, mm-hmm. uh, but without necessarily you know. Uh, really threatening or challenging your business. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm probably that person. And, and uh, in my territories, I'm sure the folks over at, uh, you know, Palin Music or, uh, uh, you know, Meyer Music or whatever, like <laughs> they're looking at their business thinking, yeah, this pesky person and <laughs> Springfield Music or whatever. But, uh, you know, I've never, I never have felt like we were in that spot for sure you know it's it's interesting because we you know i don't we have a competitor here in town that you know at at first he was you know he just didn't really know he just really didn't understand the band business but to his credit he's learning and Mm -hmm. um you know he's doing some things right some of them are, are trying to do it better and trying to do it right right that's true 